Hello you, welcome to Thursday's show. Are you well? Are you in good shape? Are you in fine fettle? It's me, Richie Allen. The time is five o'clock here in Salford in the northwest of the UK. I've got two very interesting guests lined up for you this afternoon. Your comments, please, via the app for the programme or richieallen.co.uk. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. You will probably be aware of the fact that a U.S. congressional committee is hearing evidence from people, from experts, from intelligence officials, from former pilots about unidentified flying objects. It's absolutely stunning. Some of the things that have been said in the last day or two. We'll be talking about that on the programme this evening. You don't want to miss that. You really don't want to miss that. I'll be speaking with a gentleman who presents a fantastic podcast about ufology and unexplained phenomenon and whatnot. We'll do that this hour. A little bit later on in the programme, we'll be talking climate change with uh, Sandy Adams. You don't want to miss Sandy. Uh, She'll join us a bit later on. It's Thursday's Richie Allen Show. I'm Richie Allen. And as always, church is only great to be with you. To be with you, it is only great. Yeah, it's Andy McGrillan. You might have come across Andy. Andy McGrillan. He's lovely. That UFO podcast is his podcast. And he's a brilliant podcast host. He has been all over this topic in recent years. And I had a chat with him a little bit earlier on. I think you'll be interested in what he has to say. So, Andy, I tell you what, um, this made me laugh. It came in today. In fact, it came in late last night via the app. Do download the app if you have the means to do it. By means, I mean if you have a phone, because, of course, it's entirely free. This came in from Kenny Garrett. Baldy Gammon. This is the message. Baldy Gammon. Been listening to you since you used to broadcast from the Karpinski Hotel. And then in brackets, he says, probably butchered that name. Yes, you did, Kenny. It's the Kempinski Hotel in Marbella. Well, it's actually between Marbella and Estepona. I did broadcast there. Nice to hear from you, Kenny. And thanks for for making me laugh last night. That did make me smile. So it did. Now, we will briefly talk a little bit about climate change. Just briefly. Because you'll want to hear Sandy Adams on this topic a bit later on. And you'll want me to give me big gob a rest because I've had so much to say about it, obviously, in recent days as much as recent weeks and months. Now, the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, has made what the BBC describes as an impassioned speech on climate change. Why did he do that? Well, scientists, inverted commas, scientists, well, they said it is virtually certain that this July which we will be exiting in a few days, July 2023, will be the world's warmest on record. That's according to scientists, again, in inverted commas. Guterres. Would you like to hear him today, Antonio Guterres, and his impassioned speech? According to the data released today, July has already seen the hottest three-week period ever recorded, the three hottest days on record, and the highest ever ocean temperatures for this time of year. The consequences are clear and they are tragic. 
children swept away by monsoon rains. Where? Where were children swept away by monsoon rains? Families running from the flames. Oh, Jesus. Workers collapsing in scorching heat. Just give them some water then and put a little bit of salt in it. It's like saline. Give them some water and they won't collapse in the heat. Or do what the Spanish and the Italians have done for generations. Don't work in the fucking heat. It's as simple as that. You know when we lived in Spain when the temperatures really were warm, like mid-40s, the workers who take a, a, a siesta as a matter of course anyway, they would extend that siesta when the temperatures were really warm and thus extend their working hours. So later on in the evening they would go back to work. It isn't rocket science, Antonio. For vast parts of North America, Asia, Africa and Europe, it's a cruel summer. It's too close for comfort, this heat has got right out of hand. For the entire planet, it is a disaster. Disaster for the planet. And for scientists, it is unequivocal. Humans are to blame. You're to blame, you bastards. All this is entirely consistent with predictions and repeated warnings. The only surprise is the speed of the change. Climate change is here, it is terrifying, and it is just the beginning. Wow. It's here, it's terrifying, it's only the beginning, and do not forget ever. Humans are to blame. What? Humans are to blame. It's your fault it's warm in July. It's your fault. You, ba you selfish Baxters, yeah. Okay, he went on to say this, and this is getting a lot of attention today. The era of global warming has ended. The era, the era of global boiling has arrived. And somebody wrote that for him. Talked about this the other day with the absolutely inept David Lammy, the shadow... What is he? What's Lammy? Shadow Foreign Secretary, is he? Labour, reading, basically caught out reading an impassioned speech on LBC Radio not realising the cameras were on him because he's a goon. Um, he didn't write this. He's just reading it out. This is not his. The era of global warming has ended. The era, the era of global boiling has arrived. Global boiling. We've um, skipped over global warming now. You will not be hearing global warming from us anymore. From now on in, we will refer to the current state of affairs regarding the climate crisis as global boiling. In future, you'll be hearing that. Human beings are responsible for global boiling. Global, global boiling. What did he conclude with? The air is unbreathable. What? Where is the air unbreathable? The air is unbreathable. The heat is unbearable. No. And the level of fossil fuel profits and climate inaction is unacceptable. Wow. Leaders must lead. Must do something now. We've got to make sacrifices. All righty. I would say, you know, come here, Antonio. And I don't have a degree in, I have degrees, but I don't have degrees in the sciences. But I, I, I can research. Here are a few facts which you will be tired of listening to, dear listeners. So if you like, turn your phone down for, let me just um, give you an estimation. About 34.623 seconds It's going to take me to do this. That's all. Right, the atmosphere. 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen. And just under 1% argon, there are trace gases, including CO2. 
CO2 makes up 0.041% of our atmosphere. Think about that. Right? Okay? Basically 125th of the atmosphere, CO2. Now, human beings are responsible for only 4% of all the CO2 in the atmosphere. And again, when I say all the CO2, it's minuscule, right? Wow. So 96% of the CO2 in Earth's atmosphere right now isn't coming from us. It's natural. And right, okay. I, I'm not going to list how that CO2 gets there, the 96%, but it, it isn't us. So I, I would say to Antonio Gutierrez, um, Gene would, would like a word with you. You stupid, ignorant son of a bitch, dumb bastard! Jesus Christ, I've met some dumb bastards in my time, but you outdo them all. He outdoes them all, Gene. Uh, Tom, would you like to add anything to that to tell to the UN Secretary General? Let me ask you something. Are you out of your fucking mind? Yeah, he's out of his fucking mind. The era of global warming has ended, and we are now in the era of... Say it again. The era of global warming has ended. The era, the era of global boiling has arrived. I think something along the lines of 0.0016%. I've done my mathematics. Now, I failed maths when I did my leaving certificate in Ireland first time around, had to repeat it, right? But of the CO2 that is in the atmosphere, and it's not very much anyway, there were times in Earth's history when there was far more CO2 in the atmosphere than there is today. But humans put, of the, of the CO2, 0.0016%. And this lying bastard would have you believe that this equates to ever-increasing boiling hot summers, sea level rises, the melting of the ice caps, people running from their lives from the flames, children being swept away in the monsoons. It's just crap. But um, they're getting so hysterical about, or they have become so hysterical about it now, that I am minded of a clip that I downloaded about two years ago from LBC Radio and I saved it. I've got a massive big audio bank of clips that I saved. When somebody phoned in to Nick Ferrari, um, th this was a hysterical woman now, an Extinction Rebellion woman, and she wanted this to happen. I do feel that every week on the television there should be the Prime Minister flanked by two climate scientists <laughs> explaining what has been done to mitigate climate change. Mm. And that's not happening. No, it's not happening. So you heard what she said, right? Pretty self-explanatory. Rishi Sunak should take to a lectern to a podium in Downing Street every afternoon or once a week, flanked by two climate goons, climate scientists, excuse me, and he should outline to the nation just what is being done to mitigate the effects of man-made climate change, even though man-made climate change is the greatest hoax in history. It is laughable. Everything I said to you is true. You can take it to the bank, you know. I spend so much of my time saying it could be argued, or in my opinion, this is a fact. Of the CO2 currently floating around our atmosphere, humans contribute 4% of that. It's a joke. But just look at the solutions. It's the sol solutions that you've got to look at when you try to understand just what is going on exactly. This is uh, Thursday's Richie Allen Show with me, Richie Allen. I'll do a quick rundown of the headlines without um, getting too heavy today because I want to talk about ufology now and the congressional hearing which um, 
which which I'm fascinated by, and uh, we, we want to hear from Andy McGrillen from That UFO Podcast. We'll hear from him now in a moment. Look, a lot of tributes to Sinead O'Connor today. I won't add to them. I was fond of her. I got to interview her twice over the years, and on both occasions, she wasn't sp- supposed to be speaking with me. I was working at Talk Radio Europe. I worked at another Talk radio station in Spain for a while. And on each occasion I spoke with her, the presenter on the day who had booked her was absent and I ended up filling in. So it wasn't that I had spoken, you know, or chosen to spoke with her, but she was great on both occasions. She's an amazing Irish woman, a poet. Uh, she would have been an amazing actress, I think, if she had stayed in um, acting. I kind of agree with Morrissey. Now, Morrissey is a curmudgeonly cantankerous old fecker. We know this at the best of times. But he's written on his own website about how disgusted he is by the fawning tributes of people who he reckons might have done a bit more to help her when she was alive. And I agree with that. You know, the tabloid media in particular got a lot of great copy from Sinead over the years. She was manna from heaven for the tabloids. And she's obviously struggled very badly sometimes over the years with her own mental health and bipolar and what have you. And the suicide of her son 18 months ago seemed to have sent her spiralling downwards. And I think Morrissey was asking, where were all these people who professed their undying love and respect for Sinead? Where were they? Now, of course, Morrissey doesn't know. Let's be honest. We don't know who, you know, spent spent a lot of time, maybe. Maybe people did spend a lot of time trying to um, help Sinead. But anyway, I'm proud of her as an Irish woman. She's a fantastic artist and uh, great, great copy, great interviewee and God rest her. That's all I have to say. But a lot of talk today about Sinead. It's all good remembering her performances or interviews with with Gay Byrne. Uh, rest in peace too, of course, and, and all of that. Uh, the bank, the, the boss of the bank Coots, Peter Flavel, or Flavel, Flavel, I think, he's quit over the handling of Nigel Farage's bank accounts. That's still getting an an enormous amount of coverage, really. That particular story, we spoke about it yesterday. I won't dwell too much more on it now. So I'll tell you what, we'll jump in then to the congressional hearings. Let me read this for you. This is Kayla Epstein writing for the BBC. If the truth is out there, the US Congress wants to know. As the House of Representatives convened a landmark panel on Unidentified Anomalous Phenomenon, or UAPs, known more colloquially as UFOs, on Wednesday, in the most serious acknowledgement yet that mysterious sightings deserve scrutiny at the highest levels of government. US lawmakers were not bringing little green men or flying saucers into the hearing, were just going to get to the facts said Republican Tim Burchett at the beginning of the meeting. Yet the testimony at times strayed into the unknown. Over the course of two hours, three witnesses shared their encounters with objects that defied physics and told of pilots afraid to speak up, biological material recovered from crafts and alleged retaliation against whistleblowers. All acknowledged that anomalous phenomena was a potential national security threat. As the hearing produced no serious bombshells, says this BBC reporter, nor a confirmation of alien life. But the fact that the witnesses received a major hearing before Congress was notable in and of itself. Lawmakers and witnesses alike used the panel to demand greater transparency around UAPs from 
the military. And I've grabbed just a couple of um, little audio snippets from the hearing before we hear from our guest. Now, Ryan Graves is the executive director of Americans for Safe Aerospace. This is what he said to the congressional hearing uh, yesterday. Ryan Graves there. Let's hear him. As we convene here, UAP are in our airspace, but they are grossly underreported. These sightings are not rare or isolated. They are routine. Military aircrew and commercial pilots, trained observers whose lives depend on accurate identification, are frequently witnessing these phenomena. The stigma attached to UAP is real and powerful and challenges national security. It silences commercial pilots who fear professional repercussions, discourages witnesses, and is only compounded by recent government claims questioning the credibility of eyewitness testimony. And this is David Grouch. Now, David Grouch is a former U.S. intelligence official. You will hear a congresswoman pose a question to him, then you'll hear his answer. If you believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Yeah. Um, were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. And was this documentary evidence, this video, photos, eyewitness, like how would that be determined? The specific documentation I would have to talk to you in a skiff about. Gotcha. Um, Okay. So, and and you may or may not be able to answer my last question, and maybe we get into a skiff at the next hearing that we have, but who in the government either, what agency, sub-agency, what contractors, who should be called into the next hearing about UAPs, either in a public setting or even in a private setting? And, and you probably can't name names, but what agencies or organizations, contractors, et cetera, do we need to call in to get these questions answered, whether it's about funding, what programs are happening, and what's out there? I can give you a specific... No, anyway, he didn't give any answer, right? Now, Nick Pope, who's been on programs with me going back many years, in fact, Nick was on with us about a year ago, wasn't he? Nick used to work for the Ministry of Defence. And during his time at the MOD, he was tasked with looking into reports of unidentified aerial phenomenon or anomalous phenomenon here in the UK. He spoke to Talk TV yesterday. What did Nick Pope make of what he heard in the Congressional Committee? Well, we're talking about uh, structured craft performing speeds, manoeuvres and accelerations that seem to go way beyond the cutting edge of anything we have. And by we, I mean the United States government, the UK government, China and Russia, so far as we know. And these things are being tracked in space, in the atmosphere and sometimes, as I say, under the water. And why do you think then that there has been resistance by the US government and the Pentagon to disclose the information on these UAPs? Some of it is because revealing, for example, too much of the the photos and videos and satellite images that they have would disclose uh, quite how, you know, the level of our capabilities in in terms of imagery uh, resolution and things. But part of it may go further than that. If we are talking about uh, technology here, again, we don't want an adversary, whether it's China, Russia or, or whoever, getting their hands on that. So that's that's why I think some of the secrecy exists. Technology acquisition. 
I was um, doing my thing this morning, my, my running thing, listening to the radio, and I heard our guest today, he was speaking to the BBC and I thought he was great. He presents a podcast called That UFO Podcast. You can find out all you, you need to know about it at the website thatufopodcast.com. He's a terrific lad. Andy McGrillan is his name. And I spoke to him around about lunchtime. And I first asked him, about the comments made by David Grouch. I said to Andy, do you believe David Grouch when he says that non-human biologics were recovered from a craft? I asked him, do you believe that? And this is what he had to say. Yeah, thanks Thanks for having us on and thanks for that intro. Um, yeah, David Grouch is an incredibly, incredibly intelligent individual with a, a wonderful background and clearance. He speaks very eloquently. He was a gentleman who, given the, the job he had, would brief presidents on matters of national security. This is a really serious guy. This isn't, you know, your average Joe public like me or you standing up and telling a story about a sighting we had. He's saying he's seen documentation, including images, of crashed craft. And obviously, when asked that question, you're talking about the biologics. For me, that sounds like bits of bodies or intact non-human pilots, as, as we're calling them. Um, the fact he's doing this under oath is huge. So either he is completely lying, which would risk uh, jail time and huge, huge monetary fines. He is telling the truth. But then let's be fair and play devil's advocate. That truth could be he is he is repeating what he has seen and read, which could, in fact, be fabricated or he's misinterpreted it. Or, in fact, he is telling the truth and what he has seen is completely legitimate. Um, so, so yeah, I, I don't believe he's lying on this at all. Either way, it's bombshell anyway, isn't it? I mean, to mm. say, he, he said he prefers to use the term non-human rather than yes. alien or extraterrestrial. Why, why is this significant, Andy? Do you know, it's a really good point, and I, and I wish more people would take a look at it this way. If we take a step back from thinking about aliens as being little green men coming from other planets on flying saucers, okay, what if what we're dealing with, in part, is something that isn't human, but it's not aliens as people understand it? There's a whole whole range of theories as to what might or may not be visiting this planet. Just for instance, what if some of these objects aren't manned, but they're potentially drones from somewhere else? And that's not to say even another planet, maybe from a different dimension, different reality, and they're coming here unmanned. You know, we send, I've, I've mentioned this several times, we send drones and, and rovers out into the, the, the universe now, don't we? The Mars rovers yeah. that are up there, Perseverance and Curiosity, they are roving about the, the Martian landscape very slowly, not particularly advanced. Advanced for us as humans because they cost hundreds of millions of dollars and we don't get them back. We see them as disposable, but they're there conducting scientific experiments. Is it so far-fetched to think another species or civilization a few hundred years down the line, more than us, would have technology that, one, we wouldn't recognise, but two, would be doing similar things that we are doing now, just in a far more advanced way. This is interesting. You know, some years ago, Rich Turiel was on this show. He'll be somebody you know all mm -hmm. about from NASA. And when this subject came up, Andy, he said, Richie, why would you discount the possibility that these beings might be or might not be some future version of ourselves, time maybe not being linear was something he was really interested in. Blows my mind, Andy. Yeah, I, I spoke to Lou Elizondo, Luis Elizondo, who is the former director of ATIP, which was essentially the UFO programme for the United States government. 
uh, from 2012 to 2017. And when I had him on the show some couple of years ago now, he used a great analogy about what if there was another species who could interact with us, but they, they experienced time in a different way. And this is what, what you've just said there reminds me of, that he, he used the analogy of imagine a cigarette burning where the, the piece, the ash of the cigarette is the past that's already burned. The part of the cigarette that's still to burn is the future. And then he says, if you look in that, that piece that's burning, the cherry of the cigarette or cigar, that's that's not symmetrical and it overlaps and it's it's all kind of bitty and fragmented. He said, what if a species in that point can go across that, that piece of time and they can experience five minutes all at once? Then they they've experienced time in a completely different way to us and even how we understand it. And maybe that explains how some of these objects can appear, can reappear. They might be living on a completely different dimension of reality. Um, it's just one theory, but I thought that was particularly interesting. It's incredibly interesting. Folks, you're listening to Andy McGrillan, absolutely top bloke. He presents That UFO Podcast, which is a phenomenon in and of its own, and no pun intended there. You'll get it on all platforms, Spotify, iTunes, there's a YouTube channel. Look for That UFO Podcast on Twitter as well. We're speaking with Andy. He's graciously graciously given us his time today when he's being bombarded by mainstream media to talk about the hearing at which an ex-Navy pilot claimed the US government government was hiding crucial information about UFOs. Andy, let me get one devil's advocate question out of the way. Mm. These are difficult times, cost of living, um, uh, coming out of, of COVID, governments under enormous pressure, Russia and Ukraine. There are some sceptical scallywags who say that maybe these hearings are a bit of a distraction, get everybody looking in one direction because we're all, we're all interested in ufology. And um, it, it kind of covers up or distracts from some of the more real world problems pe- people are experiencing. Uh, I'm sure you've heard this before. What do you make of that? I don't see why it would be any difference now to, to what it was when this story first really broke huge in the US six years ago through yeah. the New York Times. You know, look at everything that's happened since then. And I would have used the UFO story back then, not now. This has been a culmination for anyone with a real interest in the UFO topic, really spending their time looking at it, researching it, listening to podcasts, reading articles. This isn't something that's happened overnight. It's taken a total of six years of really hard work from a lot of people behind the scenes, including scientists, military personnel, journalists and civilians. I don't see why this would be any different now, given we've gone through various wars, COVID and everything else. And also the story is just touching the mainstream today. This, this happened last year for a couple of weeks when we had the UEP task force report and it, it was like a roller coaster. it comes and it goes and I just hope this time it sticks around a little bit longer. I, I don't know because again I think there's plenty of people where I work as an office block and if I walk out right now and ask 100 people on that, that floor, did you see the hearings about UFOs in the United States? I imagine most are still going to say no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, for all it's touching the mainstream, it's still just a 5, 10, 15 minute story. Then it goes on to the next news piece. I agree with you, to be honest. Yeah, there, it's not just merely a distraction. You, you were asked by the BBC an interesting question. As they put it to you that the Ministry of Defence or the Department of Defence here in the UK had said that, um, you know, they didn't have reports or they weren't aware of reports. But when I was listening to this on my jog this morning around um, Media City, I laughed out loud because you've interviewed him, I've interviewed him, uh, Nick Pope used to work for the MOD. They've had thousands mm-hmm. of reports over the years, haven't they, if not more? 
yeah, it's one of those, it's an assumption, it's a little bit uninformed, but I think that's been a lack of any kind of UK mainstream interest, including last year or the year before when it was brought up in the House of Parliament, in a very, very quiet House of Parliament, uh, when Baroness Goldie was asked the question, and I can't remember the gentleman's name who, who brought it up, and he quite rightly mentioned that, you know, the United States were starting to look at this topic very seriously, and, and what were we doing in the UK in terms of flight safety and looking at the issue of UAP, and Baroness Goldie very derisively laughed it off, quite smug, um, and just said our, our defences are quite safe, and that was it, and moved on. And yet, just a few weeks ago, we had confirmation that the UK, through its Five Eyes Intelligence Agreement, an intelligence sharing agreement with the United States and other countries, have been involved in conversations on the UAP topic. I think it's very much one that British stiff upper lip, we pass this on to the United States and we let them deal with it, and we can kind of wash our hands of the, the UFO conversation. Very interesting. Andy McGrillan, that UFO podcast, downloaded today, book market. And Andy, listening to you speaking to the mainstream media, I say mainstream because I'm obviously independent, but um, I was fascinated. You were eight or nine, I think, when you had your own experience, which launched your, which I suppose fired you up and got you into the subject and led you to where you are today. What are your recollections of that incident yourself? Yeah, so I used to go to the BB, the Boys Brigade, uh, when I was younger, and it was uh, a night we left. It was a cold winter's night. It was something around in November, that kind of typical British winter that you know we're going through right now in the summer. Um, <laughs> really cold, clear skies, and I left with my mum, my sister, my friend, and his mum. And we only stayed a few minutes from the kind of church where it was held. I'm not religious in any way, shape, or form. I just the BB was in a church hall. That was all. Um, and I remember it's a very built-up area, if anyone knows Knightswood in Glasgow. It's loads of houses, no fields, nothing like that. High-rise flats, a golf course, sports sports complex, all that kind of thing. So really, really built-up area, lots of people, 9 o'clock at night. And as we left the kind of hall, we looked along the road, a kind of windy road, lots of houses. Not up in the sky, but low down, low enough that you couldn't see the bottom of it for the houses. Imagine a Ferris wheel, but tilted at an angle spinning ridiculously fast there was all these lights i would say saucer shaped but you could not make out a shape it just was lots of lights going around incredibly fast and like i say if it was a ferris wheel one it was broken and two everyone on it would have been dead given the speed it was going and i remember we all looked at it and wow that's interesting that's really strange it was the mid to late 90s no camera phones nothing like that you know uh, we stayed and looked at it for 10 20 30 seconds maybe and then walked home that was it out of sight didn't see it leave, didn't see it arrive. It was massive. It was 40, 50, 60 feet in size, probably. And it always stuck with me. So th- this is something that's really helped me keep my interest in the UFO topic. And even now, when I hear a famous case being debunked or maybe someone comes out and then find they're lying, they're a hoax or anything like that, I still know what I saw in the 90s. And you weren't that alone, Andy. totally unexplainable, you know. So that, that helps me get through. Okay, that's fine. That wasn't right. That wasn't real. But I know what I saw. And not just you, you were in company, others saw it as well. Sure, yeah. Which is very important, isn't it? Because you'd blink, wouldn't you? As Even as a kid, you'd blink and think, did I really see that? But yet, you were with people who, who witnessed it uh, as well. Andy McGrillan is our guest. What If you, Andy, with, with the research you've done, the, the countless interviews you've done, the, the, the research you've done, if I asked you to venture again, you're very good. I, I interviewed him um, a few weeks back, I interviewed Whitley Strieber. And I've always been yeah. impressed by him 
for one reason and one reason only. He's refused to be backed into a corner where he has to give um, a definitive answer. Whitley is very open-minded about the things that happened to him and he doesn't define the visitors in any way. And I like that about you as well. But if I could put you on the spot, like if you had 20 quid to spare charity bet... What do you think might be going on? Now, that sounds very general, but I believe you are right. I believe my old pal, uh, Jim Mars, God rest him, was right. This is a real phenomenon. A pheno- these, these are real phenomena. I totally believe it, 100%. If you had to make a, a bet, and it's only a punt, what's going on, Andy? Do you know, I think it'd have to be a spread bet. Uh, a because spread I bet, think yeah. we've got a little bit of an umbrella phenomenon, given... Do I think this is aliens coming from another planet? I think that goes right down the pecking order now. What I think is, I think we've got some objects here which are some sort of drone sent by somewhere else. There's also the potential, and this might get a bit scattergun, that these objects were left here by a civilization that predates us, who long have since left the planet. And this is them just, this is their technology staying behind to keep an eye on the planet. And it, it keeps an eye on us, reconnaissance, that kind of thing. So it could be completely unmanned. Um, I think we've also got some sort of entities that are coming here from a different dimension of reality. And that can lose some folks, and that's fine. But I think the idea that you hear that maybe they're not from so far away, maybe they're from Earth, but maybe not Earth as we know it, and they're using these craft as a means to get from their version of Earth to, to our version of Earth. And if you want to go a little bit conspiracy theory with it, which all of this can, can touch on, when you look at the Marvel movies from the last kind of 10 years, everything talks about multiverse, different realities, different dimensions, different variations of the same thing. And maybe that's a way of educating the general public, yeah. putting those ideas in the populace long before these things maybe come into science, scientific fact. You know, long before we had things in Star Trek and Star Wars that were pure sci-fi, that we can now replicate to an extent, maybe not warp drives, but some of the basic technology, sliding doors, you know, hand scanners, all that kind of stuff. Um, so for me, there's a, a lot of things going on in a place like Skinwalker Ranch. is potentially a really good example of multiple phenomena that are all recurring, that are maybe all linked together in a way that we just don't understand. Could you give our listeners in 60 seconds a quick overview of Skinwalker Ranch? Because if I try to do it, Andy, I'll butcher it. Tell us a little bit about Skinwalker Ranch. Oh, God, I might do as well. So 60-second summary, and sorry if I get some of the facts wrong here, is an area in Utah in the United States, pretty big ranch, as it says in the title. Um, It's a working ranch. It's an area famous for lore and the Skinwalker, something that you could look up yourself. Essentially, it's a paranormal hotspot famous for UFO sightings, sightings of strange werewolves that, that go on two back legs portals have seemed to be opening up it was owned by the u.s government at one point or at least they were involved sorry uh, robert bigelow self-made billionaire owned it and conducted experiments for the u.s government those were all classified and passed over he then sold the ranch on to the new owner brandon fugel and they conduct scientific experiments on the ranch but it's also got history channel series now so that's something that people can watch and kind of check it out there's a, a really good documentary by jerry mccorbell called hunt for the skinwalker which is also available if people wanted to check into that. But essentially, paranormal hotspot, loads of things happening. There's been poltergeist sightings, strange wolves seen, like I say, portals opening up, strange beings. One of the weirdest stories was one of the ranchers was working one day and they had a ton of cattle that were on the field. They It was something like they popped over to the house or the, into a barn for a second 
came back out, all the cattle were gone. And it was, they were like, broad daylight, where have all these gone? They soon heard a bit of a commotion and they opened the, the local uh, kind of shed sort of area. I can't remember the, the exact name of it. They opened the door and all the cattle were inside of this like kind of cabin, which they couldn't get into. You couldn't have got the, the, the cattle in there. They were in a catatonic state. No way they could have got inside this building. And then they just went a bit mental. Um, that That's the kind of weird stuff that happens on the ranch. It, it gets a little bit of a an awkward name these days because of the TV show. Maybe it's a little bit dramatised for TV, but I think that's a lot to do with the TV company. But it is, in part, still a real scientific experiment that's being done in real time. So definitely worth people checking out. It's a that's a brilliant summary, to be honest. Yeah, because I'm aware of it. I've seen the TV show that you said. It's very very Americanized in terms of the quick fire graphics and music. It is a bit overproduced, but that doesn't take away from the fact that some very seriously interesting phenomena has taken place there over the years. Andy, Andy, I'm 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 trying to think because we're pre-recording this. Listeners will be screaming at me on on the app message, and we have a messaging system. They'll be saying, "Ask him this, ask him that," but um. One thing I did want to mention, speaking to the late, great Jim, you mentioned interdimensions. And I put put it to Jim many years ago. I said, do you often wonder, or do you wonder sometimes, if interdimensional entities are visiting, if it's possible that you might have more than one type of entity, um, mm. and, that, and that the entities themselves might not be friendly, not, not necessarily not friendly towards human beings, but not friendly to one another. And he said that was something that he thought long and hard about and was, was, was convinced was possible. That's an interesting theory, isn't it? That in other dimensions, you might have... I mean, we have countries at war on this planet. You might have... Yeah. Is that something you, you think about yourself and, and that, that you think might be a possibility? Absolutely. I've talked about that on the show. I, I always love the idea. People talk about the famous, the one day the aliens land on the White House lawn and that would be the proof everyone needed. Yeah. Imagine flying saucer, typical lands on the White House lawn, Little alien beings walk out, shake the president's hand, and black triangle flies overhead. And the, the the president would go, oh, "Okay, is that one of yours as well?" And the aliens go, "Nope, we've got no idea what that is." And it's that idea that do they even know of each other? You know, if we've got different entities interacting, if they're coming from different planets, galaxies, solar systems, dimensions, realities, maybe some of them from here, maybe something completely different we can't even comprehend or even think about at the moment. Maybe they don't even interact. Maybe they don't know of each other. But then again, like you say, maybe they do. And I've used the analogy before about, you know, playing like everyone knows the game The Sims. You set up a family or, you know, roller coaster tycoon, stuff like that. And you, you start making a civilization or a household and you run it. But you, you, when you were younger, you could play these things with friends. One of you would be really invested. One of you wouldn't care. One of you wanted to cause lots of chaos and just have everyone getting run over. And someone else would just dip in and out the game. And maybe it's a little bit like that, if you think of things like simulation theory or zoo theory. Maybe there are various entities who have different interests. Maybe some like us, maybe some don't. Maybe some are completely indifferent and they're just observing. And that might be a little bit of what's going on as well. Oh, very interesting theory, but it just starts to get really messy and a huge spider diagram, I think, is part <laughs> yeah, of that point. I've got two final questions for you. Once again, thanks for your time today. Andy, no, no, I really appreciate it. The first one is, so we've had these, we've had the congressional hearing. It, it, there's no doubt that it's bombshell stuff coming out of it. Now, as a researcher and as somebody who's really invested in this um, subject matter, what would you like to see now happen? Because this is a big moment. So what would you like to see happen from here on in? What would you like these hearings to lead to? 
for me, more hearings and from those hearings, more whistleblowers coming forward. I think then the logical next step would be if we could get someone from one of these private private contractors to come out from a Lockheed Martin, from a Boeing, from one of these big aerospace companies that gets a hold of this really top secret technology, apparently, and makes all these kind of futuristic and, you know, fighter jets and whatnot for the United States. For someone to come out and say, I worked on a piece of non-human craft. I took part in trying to back engineer a non-human craft. Someone to come out and say, I've seen one of these biological entities. That's what we need coming forward. Uh, that's that's a huge step, though, because that puts a lot of people at risk. Um, right now, there's legislation in place from the US government asking any private contractor who might have anything like that, sorry, giving them a six-month grace period, basically, where they won't face any persecution or criminal charges if they hand it over in that six-month period. So we've got a bit of a time frame on this just now, um, and that goes through, I think, to just, just after the end of the year. So that there are kind of time limitations on this, but the next thing for me would be more whistleblowers coming forward and more hearings like this and giving us more information that we kind of heard yesterday. Imagine a company was to come forward in the next few months and say, listen, yeah, okay, we'll hold our hands up. I tell you what, Andy, we'll be talking again at that point. Final final question for you. I'm mm. I'm a champagne socialist. I'm an old lefty trade unionist, right? A um, mm. lo- lot of my listeners are conservatives and they are people of faith. Faith comes up on this programme um, quite often. Is yeah. an interest in uh, UAP's ufology, is it incompatible with faith? I, I love that question, you know, is is it incompatible, a belief in, in God or a higher power, kind of incompatible with believing that entities from other dimensions exist? What say you? Absolutely not, no. I think in one of the things I always thought before I started the podcast three years ago was that organised religion would collapse if, if, you know, alien beings unveiled themselves to the world or we found out we weren't alone. And the more people I've spoken to of various different religions, um, Hinduism, Judaism, Mormonism, whatever it might be, Christianity, always say that there is room in their religion for other things and something else out there. It almost tends to be folks who aren't religious, and I, I'm one of those, I'm not religious at all, who can struggle to have that conversation. Um, I think the big issue with religion, as it, as it seems to be, is real extremist Christians within the US government have a hard time dealing with this topic, not that they don't believe it, but that they feel it is old school demonic. And we shouldn't be investigating it at all. For me, if you look back in any religious text, whatever it is, you know, the Bible, the Quran, I don't particularly care. They all tell very similar stories and anything that's labelled an angel or a demon is just something, it was just a label, it was just a name for something they didn't understand at the time. Just like there was no word for blue back when people first described the sea, you use something else. So I think these could potentially be entities that have been here for a long time have been around through various different aspects of humanity and our kind of path and as we've evolved. And it's just what we called them at the time. Andy, I'm really chuffed that you took the time out today. I really mean that, pal. I know you've been inundated with um, requests from every news organisation in the country, but you were kind enough um, to talk to uh, to a fellow Celt. So thank you very much um, for doing Anytime. that today. And the website, of course, is thatufopodcast.com. Uh, go to uh, Twitter, look for Andy there. Hugely popular podcast. It's on YouTube as well. Thank you, Andy. No problem. Anytime, mate, and I mean that. I, I thanked him profusely because he did about 20 mainstream media interviews today. He did an hour with the BBC this morning. He did breakfast for the BBC. Uh, he did all the conservative talk radio today. And he fit us in on his lunch break, which is very nice of him. 
So lovely guy, uh, Andy. And it's thatufopodcast.com. And as I said, if you go to, to, to Twitter and look for That UFO Podcast, you'll find it on Twitter. Andy McGrillen uh, speaking to us on Thursday's Richie Allen Show. And I am going to read some comments because you've got some interesting things to say about this. Of course you do. When would it ever be different? Jules reckons Bob Lazar said he worked on reverse engineering an alien um, aircraft. Thank you, Jules. Uh, Wayne says, Richie, I do believe some UFOs are alien, though others possibly from human sources and other dimensions. Uh, though I don't believe the topic being discussed now so openly and at such a high level is because of openness. Wayne is suspicious about the openness of this, and many of you agree with Wayne. He says, rather, your suggestion, Richie, about this being a distraction from other things might be on the money, says Wayne. William says, I play by one simple rule. If it's on Earth, it's from Earth. Thanks, William. Steve has posted a link on the comment section of my website to do with the Skywalker, excuse me, Skywalker. That's George Lucas, isn't it? A Skinwalker Ranch. Thank you, Steve, for that. Uh, Pandora says, I rather like the idea of left behind tech from old civilizations, just keeping a watchful eye. That's a nice one. Yes, Andy did say that, didn't he? Faisal says he is one of the proud League of Scallywags. Evidence of aliens is very scarce. And he suspects, does Faisal, while we're up to our necks in evidence of corporate authorities creating distractions and psyops. Yes, not so much evidence of aliens, says Faisal, but lots of evidence of corporate authorities and malfeasance and distractions and psyops. Very good. I really appreciate that. Lots and lots of comments. Let's read a few more of them. Um, Frank says... Richie, they're after our ally wheels. I'm a scouser. I know, says Frank. <laughs> That's why they're here. The, uh, the, the entities. They're here for ally wheels. Do you know what? I've heard stranger than that. Uh, Kev says, Richie, you can't ask the question because it was a pre-record. But do you not think since CERN was created, um, the world has gone down a downward spiral? Yeah. CERN was an amazing thing, wasn't it? The, the, the accelerating the particles and smashing them into one another to attempt to create the conditions at the beginning of the universe, the Big Bang. God, yeah. Do you remember the imagery around all of that? Oh, we could talk about that for a long time. Dino says, Richie, according to Dr. Stephen Greer, these UAPs, unidentified anomalous phenomena, are off-world but some of them are reverse engineered by private companies and or by the military. Thank you, Dino. Don was on to say, ask him about Phil Schneider. Thanks, Don. I couldn't do that because it's a pre-record, but I'll keep that in mind. Bill was on to say the aliens or the entities would have their work cut out trying to communicate with Joe Biden. Aliens would say, take me to your leader. <laughs> they might say, take me to your doctor, Bill. Take us to your doctor, will you there? And uh, nano, 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 take us to your doctor, yeah. What did Tweaky say? I won't, I won't do it. Tweaky wasn't an alien, was he? Tweaky was a robot. It's a different thing entirely. Did you see Mitch McConnell just um, fade off into the distance? Mitch McConnell used to be the Senate Majority Leader, did he? Is he still? I don't know. It's hard to keep up. Republican Mitch McConnell was um, addressing... I don't know, the press at a lectern, wasn't he, yesterday? And halfway through a sentence, he went, it was almost like he'd taken spice 
it was almost like he'd taken the drug spice before approaching the lectern. He just froze completely. His brain just went into absolute meltdown until he was led away. But thankfully, and I say thankfully sincerely, because I, I don't have anything against any of these people. Well, I do. I have lots against them. But um, we, have, we have a soft spot for the aged. He, he came back a bit later on and he seemed to have recovered. Maybe he had some of that adrenochrome. I don't know. I'm just winding you up now. Luke was on to say, Richie, how are you? If we are surrounded by aliens, inter- and extraterrestrial, why does the government have the monopoly on interacting with them? Excellent question, Luke. Why do we need the government to prove their existence? Why can't we just have direct contact, says Luke. Good question, Luke. But I would imagine the answer would be from people like um, Andy, who was on the programme, it isn't the government. Now, I can say this personally, it isn't the government. I've spoken to pilots who've never been in government, who worked for commercial airlines, and they've told me some extraordinary things. But I must be honest, I've also spoken to pilots, new friends of ours. I've got to give Andy um, a shout, my friend Andy, he'll kill me. My friend Andrew, <laughs> Andrew will murder me, Andrew and Sophie. And Andrew's been a British Airways captain for many years, and he's not seen anything. But he's not covering anything up. He just says, I haven't seen anything that has made me go, wow, what the hell is this? But um, I take your point in any case, Luke. Claire was on to say, the universe, we're told, is infinite. So why would it be a stretch to think no other life forms exist and are among us? Excellent point. Grace Ann was on to say, you can't call them whistleblowers if they've been given permission to talk about it. Good point. Again, Sam was on to say, summer of 2021, me and my friend, we saw three tier, a three-tier shaped craft at 5am. As the sun was rising, they came into sight due to the sun shining on their metallic coverings. Within a few seconds, they vanished. Two were directly above us and another roughly five miles to the West. Thank you, Sam. I tell you what, dear listener, if I ever opened the phones and we said, right, we're only going to talk about the strange things we've seen in the sky, I reckon that would be a fairly decent uh, phone And What do you reckon? We might do that. Let me acknowledge, rather than read out 25 messages, let me acknowledge that a lot of you have come on to say that you feel that all of this talk, congressional hearings, people admitting alien craft and, you know, non-human bodies, a lot of you believe that we are being groomed for a fake alien invasion. And thank you for sharing those thoughts with me. We've heard this on uh, this programme before. Jim Mars, God rest him, used to talk about this too. So I'm not ignoring you. Many of you, in fact, the most common comment coming in, the most frequent comment is, Richie, they, they might be preparing us for a fake alien invasion. Who could rule that out? Yeah, do you think so? Do you think? I mean, if they convinced, right, billions, well, maybe not billions, if they convinced a couple of billion that they were in a pandemic that was killing, you know, everybody or nearly everybody, if they convinced people, even though people could just look around them and see that most people were healthy, do you think they could actually convince people if they went on television, like Boris Johnson went on the television in March of 2020 and he said, I'm asking you to stay at home and all of that. Do you think if they came out on TV and said, we are, we are in the midst of an invasion, 
creatures from other planets have invaded us. We have to be united against this foreign or, or this alien or otherworldly threat. Do you think people would buy that? I'm not being naive now. I genuinely am not sure would people believe it. Would they? Would people go, wow, we better do what we're told so that the government can deal with the fake... Well, not the, you wouldn't say fake, would you? The people who believed it would say, we've got to do what we're told so that the government can get rid of the aliens. Do you know what they might do? People might believe it. Christopher says, Richie, every so often a new creature is discovered, maybe because it has migrated um, our way because of ice melting. So where is outer space? Is it up or is it along? Asks Christopher. Jack says maybe this pending disclosure is a cover to normalise their high-tech black budget craft whizzing about the sky. That is good, Jack. I like that. That's an interesting comment as well. I can't say yay. I can't say nay. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. This is the Richie Allen Show. How are you doing? Do you remember dancing to this in the 90s? In the very early 90s, this is Robin S and Show Me Love. Your Richie Allen Show, Thursday, at the 27th of July, 2023. And I'm Richie Allen. I bet you the aliens love this music. Yeah, I was a tour guide at Waterford Crystal, summers of 92, 93, 94. Preacher's Nightclub in Waterford, every Thursday. Marvellous. Ladies went free. And that was uh, the music we were dancing to. Robin S, show me love. Uh, The time is three and a half minutes to the top of the hour. I'm Richie Allen, your presenter. This is your Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on my website, my app. It's on the TuneIn app as well, and of course it's on Fab Radio 2 here in Manchester. Let me just tell you about what's going on in the world, or at least what the BBC is reporting, which we can discount anyway. Um, It has been announced that Sinead O'Connor was found dead in her home and that police are not treating her death as suspicious, the legendary Irish uh, singer and actress. Uh, Joe Biden, the US president, has spoken out as uh, scientists claim that July, this month, will be the hottest ever recorded as the climate threat is existential, says Joe Biden. Existential. What nonsense. Uh, Nigel Farage is in the news all week because of his bank account dealings and all of that. Coots Bank, Peter Flavel or Flavel, has quit the bank because of its handling of Nigel Farage's accounts. That's about it, really. There's not an awful lot else to tell you about. I could speak to you about the ashes. Oh, yeah, I could spend some time talking to you about the cricket, but I've decided not to do that. Because <laughs> I don't think you'd like me very much. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Indeedy. Isabella's been on to say, I'm I'm going to award this the comment of the day. This is excellent, really. This is very, very, very excellent. Isabel says, if aliens have the tech, the technology, to build crafts to visit us, either from inter- uh, dimensions or outer dimensions surely these entities would have the technology 
to make them invisible? Asks or says or suggests Isabel. I think that's pretty smart. Yes, of course. Now, I could counter by saying, yes, absolutely. But uh, maybe these entities want to be noticed, maybe. But uh, yeah, absolutely. If they wanted to come here and observe human behaviour and how we go about our business, wouldn't they want to do it incognito? That's an excellent question. I can't fault that. And Grace Anne came back to say that um, climate lockdown might not work, but um, if people were told to stay at home because we are being invaded by aliens and the aliens have germ warfare... Maybe then people would believe the alien invasion suggests Grace Anne. That's excellent. You know, they might suggest if a fake alien invasion was ever a reality, they might suggest that just because the aliens are from wherever, that we are naturally, human beings are naturally um, allergic to them, but uh, not allergic, but they are toxic to us in a way that um, we we could be killed if we came into contact with them. You just don't know. I, I, I'd still, as, as, as naive as our friends and neighbours have proven to be in recent years, as hopelessly naive as they've proven to be, right, I, I still, on, on some level, kind of want to hold on to the idea that if the government told them we were being invaded by aliens, I, I still want to give humanity some credit that people might just look outside and look in the sky. You know, Independence Day, the film, Will Smith and all of that, they could look up in the sky and see these big motherships, right? V, V was the terrible Diana. Remember V, the lizards. They could look up and see these things. I think they would have to project something. Do you agree with that? Or they would have to fly things around cities, things that look like alien crafts. Maybe they could project stuff into the clouds. I don't know. But um, absent that, if they just told people, hey, by the way, people, it's, um, it's, a, it's an alien invasion. I'm going to say, I'm going to stick up for people and say, nah, I don't think people will buy it. I don't know. Am I wrong? I'm wrong. I'm always wrong. Simon says, Dr. Mercola, his staff, and their families have had their bank accounts shut by Chase Bank. Is that right, Simon? He was on this programme, wasn't he, during the scam, Dr. Mercola. Uh, If that's true, that's a terrible thing. I don't know anything about the law in the United States as it pertains to banks closing accounts because they disapprove of people's opinions. That's something we'll need to look into. But thanks for that, Simon. Zach was on to say, why does everyone think that aliens are super intelligent? Maybe we would be more intelligent than them. And then he says, saying that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, Sandy Adams is a great lady, great researcher, great public speaker. She's standing by is Sandy, which is very kind of her because she's been on her travels this week. She's been in Moray in Scotland. She's been everywhere talking about this great climate hoax and how it's going to be rolled out locally and all the rest of that. So it's a great day to be talking to her. We heard earlier on the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, well, he had some very strong things to say about the climate, didn't he? So Sandy is standing by. We'll get her on the phone in a moment. Before we do, let me read some more 
um, messages. Bike Cub says, Project Blue Beam. Werner von Braun, ex-Nazi, head of NASA, apparently said on his deathbed a faked alien invasion was in the offing. It was on the planning table, says Boycob. Thank you very much. Chris says, V, bloody hell, that Diana, was it? What a doll, what a doll. Yeah, she was played by Jane Badler, Diana. She was a very attractive lady. Is Still is a very attractive lady. Jane Badler, she's popped up in one or two serial dramas we have come across recently. She's in she's in good shape, is uh, Jane Badler. Yeah, very good. Very good series, V. Absolutely. Uh, David Bramble says, we are in the early stages of a new Cold War, which features a race to militarise space. And we're hearing congressional testimony about mysterious vehicles posing a threat to US airspace. Vehicles which have the ability to go up and down between Earth and space very quickly. That smells a bit off to me, says David. Thank you, David. And my pal Kelly has been in touch. How are you doing, Kelly? What about Orson Welles' War of the Worlds? Didn't people fall for that? They did, Kelly. And it's a very good point. Some might argue those were different times and people were much more simple. But I think you might be onto something. They did, didn't they? They they fell for the radio play, War of the Worlds, and they went bananas, people. Some people did, anyway. Right, Sandy will be with me in a moment. In the meantime, here's Rita Coolidge. And the James Bond theme from Octopussy, Octopussy. Rita Coolidge, all time high, the Richie Allen Show, six minutes past six this Thursday. It's uh, great to be with you as always. I'm um, delighted to welcome back to the programme. She was volunteering in Somerset about ten years ago when she realised that climate change is a hoax and it is part of a pretty serious agenda to create a dystopian technocratic society in which everything we do is controlled. And if you don't comply with it, you will be punished, you'll be excommunicated. She spent the last um, many years travelling the country and further afield to raise awareness of this agenda and uh, to discuss solutions as to how people can fight back uh, against it. And she's been on her travels this week. Do check her out at her website. It is sandyadams.net. Sandy is S-A-N-D-I, sandyadams.net. It's a real pleasure to welcome back Sandy to our programme. Sandy, thanks for doing it. Welcome back. How are you? I'm very well, Richie. Thank you. It's great to have you. You, You've you've been on your travels. So what I'm going to do now before I um, turn it over to you, I'm going to play you a little bit of audio, which I played in the monologue earlier on. I'm sure you've heard it, but just to give some context to our listeners. So it's only about... 60 seconds. Have a listen to this, Sandy. So earlier today, dear listener, the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres had this to say after scientists said that July, this July, would be the warmest on record. This is what Guterres had to say. Have a listen. According to the data released today, July has already seen the hottest three-week period ever recorded, the three hottest days on record, and the highest ever ocean temperatures for this time of year. The consequences are clear and they are tragic. Children swept away by monsoon rains, families running from the flames, workers collapsing in scorching heat. For vast parts of North America, Asia, Africa and Europe, it's a cruel summer. For the entire planet, 
it is a disaster. And for scientists, it is unequivocal. Humans are to blame. All this is entirely consistent with predictions and repeated warnings. The only surprise is the speed of the change. Climate change is here, it is terrifying, and it is just the beginning. And then he said this. The era of global warming has ended, the era, the era of global boiling has arrived. Sandy, how do you respond to that? <laughs> well, you know, it, it, we have got weird weather patterns at the moment, but it's not anthropogenic. And, and you know, we've had, as you know, I mean, our summer's been pretty dire here. Um, and yes, I mean, we've always had fluctuations in temperature. But what's happening is, I mean, I, I'm not a, a, a climate scientist, but from what I can gather, you know, there, there's there's all sorts of, of reasons why climate change, you know, we, different areas, different countries have different different temperatures and climates at the same time. We've got we've got a lot going on. We've got geoengineering. We've got um, all sorts of, of different weather patterns you know, changing, we've got earth changes happening. And I think really to blame it on on us when there's massive solar cycles going on is crazy. I mean, we we really don't have that much effect on the sun. Um, and it's, it's difficult for me to say it because, you know, people say, well, you're not a climate scientist. But I've certainly, I mean, this, uh, I think it was about, um, on the 7th of July, I had two climate scientists come to Glastonbury to literally to, to, to give a presentation to my town council. I think it went up on um, UK Column, because I've been away, I haven't caught up with it, but it went out on UK Column on, in two parts. And I think one of them was today, and the other one was on Wednesday, uh, Tuesday. Um, you know, just explaining why we have these fluctuations because it's it's you know we the the whole co2 thing is nonsense as we know it's, there's only not point i think it's four parts per million in the in the atmosphere it's not about co2 and that's what they're blaming it on they're blaming it all on co2 and co2 is the gas of life as we know i mean co2 makes things grow if it falls really low nothing will grow and we you know the, these guys are a bit death cultists they're they're malthusians and I, I honestly feel that they, they honestly believe that they can con the world into believing that CO2 is a pollutant. It's not. It's a, it's a, not, it's a natural greenhouse gas, and just like water vapor. And it, you know, it, it, yes, it, it, can, it follows temperature, but it doesn't dictate temperature at all. Uh, and CO2 has always been known to follow temperature, not dictate it. So, um, yeah, watch UK Column. And uh, they're putting, I think they're putting up the t the the things that we did at, at um, Glastonbury Town Hall, I think they're putting up on their website soon. But the, the two edited versions I know went out this week. And these are uh, climate scientists who they, they've got their academic qualifications, but as, yeah, ab yeah. absent from the mainstream media. So, <laughs> so that's why you've got to do these things, put these talks on so people can... Uh, can hear these people. You said four parts per million, and I've looked into this over the years. My understanding is that the CO two makeup of the atmosphere is tiny, as you said. But mm. even even then, that CO two only four percent of that is contributed by humans. Most of it comes from the sea. Yeah. It, it actually rises from the sea. It's a natural thing. It's always happened millions of years. 
you know, to to suddenly, I mean, I, it really does um, uh, beg a belief that you can, you can, the sun is the driver of everything. And you look at the sun and how powerful it is. We couldn't, we couldn't affect that kind of change. We couldn't. There's no way. One of the reasons, because um, I asked you on before Guterres made his outlandish comments today. I asked you on because I wanted to talk about something serious and it vindicates predictions that you've been making for a number of years and I'm not here to blow smoke up your backside but but that's a fact you've been saying this I was disgusted but not surprised to read in the Telegraph earlier this week or maybe on Sunday no it had to be Monday that the Scottish government has proposals um, ready to be published and this is for a change in the law that would make people would, would, would proposals that if people who own properties, if they refuse um, to remove their gas boilers and install heat pumps, they will be banned by law from selling their property. And yeah. I don't want to oversell this as a homeowner, half a homeowner, I should say, um, and I'll never have a heat pump. That's horrifying, isn't it? It certainly is. And and this was brought up at a, a meeting that, because um, first of all, we went to Ireland, and I'll speak about that later. Um, but uh, we went over to, um, up, up to Findhorn, um, because uh, Findhorn is a very divided community now. I don't know if you know much about it, but I'll speak about that later. Yeah. But we did have a meeting there. Um, uh, I had a meeting because they'd, you know, some, some members of Findhorn had asked me to go. And Fintorn, Fintorn is a, the Fintorn Foundation was was set up really um, in in 1992, and and they 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 set it up from you know from the I think they they sent some ambassadors to the Earth Summit, and they have always it's always been a spiritual community. It was set up in the 1960s as a spiritual community, but in 1992 it became the Fintorn Foundation, which was really it was almost like a part of um they it was they were selling the 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 ideology of the united nations they they the united nations got on board with fintorn and it kind of became a spiritual community but fired by the um uh, by agenda 2030 or 21 as it was then um to bring in the 17 goals and to and and to promote sustainable development and of course that went on for a long time because so much so much is infiltrated you get a good thing like a spiritual community who want to be truly sustainable and that's what Fintorn is it's this beautiful sort of like eco village and they all you know they've got windmills and solar panels and and they're all growing food and it's all permaculture and regenerative stuff and it's all wonderful but um it's got this overlay of um of, of United Nations agenda 21 going through it which is has been the same for a lot of you know a lot of sort of institutions all, all, all around the country but Fintorn was particularly amazing because it was the very first um, spiritual community that started up in the 1960s but by 1992 they'd had ambassadors you know at the earth summit so what happened in covid unfortunately is that the the community was divided completely divided and it it, that's that's the, the the thing that happened is people began to join the dots and there were a lot of them that began to look apart you know because of covid being what it was 
people began to question it. And then they began to question and join the dots with the whole climate change thing as well. And so you've got this divided community because they were told they had to mask up to go to meditation. They had to social distance. They, you know, if they weren't jabbed, they they were, you know, sometimes not allowed to join certain practices and all of that sort of thing within their community. And it caused um, someone to just flip out and think, well, if I can't actually um, have my spiritual practice, what is the point in 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 the, you know in living in this community? And he flipped out and he burnt down the community centre and the meditation room, and that kind of really has ended the Fintorn Foundation, apart from COVID. The burning of those two community centres um, really kind of heralded almost the end of of the lie that that it was, you know, because it was all about the people. It wasn't really about the agenda. And so what happened is that people stopped coming because of, um, you know, mainly because of COVID. But there was nowhere to go. There was no community centre. There was no meditation centre. So they lost loads of money. And so I was asked to come up because they're in a mess, basically. And there's so many people have now decided that actually this is almost a metaphor for what's going on in the world. And I was I, just going to say I, that. I was just going yeah, to say that bloody thing. Like, yeah, it's a metaphor for what's going on because and it was so timely that we were there at the same time. Um, you know, they, they asked, um, I, I'm with Fergus O'Connor Greenwood, my sort of partner in crime and truth, the, the, the crime of truth. Yeah. <laughs> so we went up together because he, he's got solutions and I, I just sort of say it how it is with Agenda 2030. And anyway, we we had this um, this really good meeting where, you know, we presented. And of course, there were still some people. There's a lot of people in the foundation or, or on in the park, you know, this community who still are hanging on to this anthropogenic global warming, which is fine. But th- I mean, they're beginning to see the the tyranny as well and that's that's the the argument at the moment and we actually had a really good debate about it you know without people raising their voices and and that's how we're going to win this it's having dialogue because they could see they they agreed they didn't like the ai they didn't like the 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 this you know pernicious march towards the technocratic society that that is happening but they couldn't see the correlation between that and climate change, and 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 they think they still think net zero is good. They couldn't see the climate thing somehow join the dots between that and the tyranny, and that's what we helped them to do. And by the end of it, you could see they were saying, "Well, can you send me that document? And can you, yeah, can we can we know a bit more?" So that is continuing. You know, that dialogue is continuing. But what was weird is the next day, the people we were staying with. Um, uh, just said we've just heard that the Fintorn Foundation has dissolved, and and by I think it's September it will be completely gone, um, and so there'll be no ambassadors anymore, no United Nations ambassadors, and people you know sort of doing the courses, the sustainable development courses that they 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 have there. So I don't know what the you know obviously the foundation is split, and they've got to have very very. Um, very in-depth conversations of how that continues. I think they're forming another trust, but maybe it's kind of like a phoenix and ashes thing. Maybe now that's gone. Maybe something really wonderful can grow from this, and maybe people will start. I mean, there's enough people 
now, joining the dots and questioning. And I think COVID really spurred that on in in that community. So uh, anyway, it was a really interesting time, really interesting time, yeah. Incredibly fascinating that, and I, I was well. I wasn't going to interrupt you, but it was going through my mind. You could, you could draw that out and look at wider society because that what what's been going on in cities and towns and villages up and down the country. Uh, Sandy Adams is our guest, so I love the idea that because I we can talk to our neighbours and they're most of them are on board with it, and you can't really blame them because they're getting their news from the usual sources but I like the idea that you could ask them to look at the solutions you know say okay look um, we might you know you know you might be right about climate change you might not be I might be right you might not be but look at the solutions look at the solutions and Mm. I think when you show people how tyrannical and how dystopian the solutions are as you've been doing that's definitely a way in I think Sandy Mm. And, you know, what's so good about Fergus's approach, because he came on after me with the he he has this. Um, it, I don't know if you have you read. Oh, no, I must send you a book, the 180 degrees book, because what he's what he does and it work it, it works very well with the stuff that I'm I'm doing because I'm presenting the problem and some of the solutions, which is challenging your town councils and and, and working literally from from local to global because they implemented it from global to local at the Earth Summit um, with, you know, implementing all these NGOs within our communities to push the, the whole narrative. What Fergus does is he looks at the, the how people can have the ability to convey the truth without actually um, alienating people. And that is really important. And he's also got a five um, stage step of, of, of how... Um, people's ideologies are, you know, you, I, I can't explain it. You'd have to have him on the show sometime. But it really resonated with people because you've at the bottom, you've got the rebels. And at the very top, you've got um, people that literally won't won't accept the truth. And you've got, you know, you've got the strivers. There's a whole five part thing of different different people and what stage they're at in their awakening and how you can shift you know, uh, shift the, uh, they shouldn't be really be called rebels, but it's the ones that question everything and that know the truth. And then you've got all these different levels of awake, you know, awakeness, if you like, all the way up. Um, and, and how you can shift, you know, it so that actually the people who are fully awake can help the ones that aren't without um, alienating them, challenging them too much, and being able to convey the truth without without um, conflict. I love so, it. Having yeah. a discussion, getting your point across to somebody without that ending up in an argument. Um, yeah. This is positive, so I don't want to be negative, and I'm not going to be, but I'd like to play you a 12-second clip from Baroness Jenny Jones, Green Party peer. Yeah. Mm. She was speaking to David Bull on Talk TV on Tuesday, and... I didn't know whether to laugh or cry when I heard this because an old friend of mine who's been researching and talking around the world for over 35 years, he said this to me years ago. He said, you know, um, net zero will never be enough, he said, um, in terms of net zero. They'll want, like, no carbon whatsoever. Listen to what Jenny Jones tells David Bull 
and tell me this is not scary. Have a listen to this. This happened on Tuesday. I'm glad I caught it. I'm afraid net zero isn't where we should be going. We should be going to real zero. And so we, we've got to take this much more seriously than any any government in the UK is likely to over the next few years. Sandy, real zero. Um, you, yeah. you, I, and my better half, my French missus, your family, your lovely grandchildren, Sandy, let's just commit suicide in the name of the planet. What does real zero mean? I'm not trying to be melodramatic, but to me it sounds like she's saying, like, we we put out no CO2 whatsoever. Exactly. And and the result of that is death. Death. You know, biological death, actually. And, I, I you know, this... Uh, there is a document which, which actually is one of the documents that I, I, I'm sending these people in Fintorn that, that couldn't get their heads around what, you know, what, what I was talking about, you know, trying to join the dots between the tyranny and, and everything else. And I said, do you, do you realize I said there's a, doc, a, a government document that was um, commissioned by, um, uh, by, by our government from, um, from from Cambridge and and Oxford University, and it's called Absolute Zero. So like a white paper, and it was debated in the House of Lords by Lord Ladycroft in 2017, and it's in Hansard, and it was it was debated, and it's called Absolute Zero. And Lord Ladycroft said this has to be um, uh, implemented at the earliest possible convenience because we are at this time where you know the, the planet is going to die if we don't if we don't implement implement absolute zero it's called the uk fires document you can just type that into google uk fires absolute zero it comes up page four is a um a, a sort of like a, a timeline of how they are going to implement absolute zero and um between now and 2025 they they will be closing I think it's 2025. Yeah, they'll be closing all airports in the... Well, this is what they intend to do. Let's not say they're going to. Um, they're going to close all airports except Glasgow, Manchester and Heathrow. And then from 2025 to 2020, um, 2030, uh, all airports will, will close. Um, and it just... It, it, there's also saying there's no shipping after 2020. 2030 no shipping in or out of the uk no planes in or out of the uk no gas boilers between 2025 and 2029 no wood burning stoves uh for those dates no meat or lamb production now this is really big this is i, I do you know it's funny because i did have my website is terribly out of date at the moment because I, I did get it hacked but i am on twitter where i'm at sandy adams 2030 if you want to keep up to date with me but on my my website i had the absolute fires document or the absolute zero document up there for about four years and um and it's only now that because I people kept saying, "Oh, that's a load of rubbish. That will never happen," and of course it has, and it's now being implemented. All this stuff is coming out slowly but surely. Um, but you can look at it and scrutinise it. And I, I, when I did my talk at um, Glastonbury uh, on the seventh of July, I flagged it up on the PowerPoint, and people were quite shocked. They didn't realise that there is this plan. And absolute zero is, I mean, we know that CO2 is the gas of life. Nothing will grow. I mean, farmers put it in their in their polytunnels and their greenhouses to make the tomatoes and the vegetables grow. And, you know, we know that that trees and plants can't exist without, without CO2. 
and they give us all oxygen in return. It's a symbiotic relationship we have with nature and always have because the creator made it that way. Um, and it, you know, it's madness to think that you can play God and say, well, this is a pollutant. It's not a pollutant. You, um, you, you did very well a few minutes ago to say that you've seen these documents, which I've seen previously as well, which, um, I mean, they're not government documents, but they're documents that come from the, the types of people who instruct governments, you know, saying yeah. that they want to shut down um, a lot of airports by a certain date and all of that. And fair play to you. You said it doesn't mean they're going to do it. But, but, hang on a second, In to, to your credit, right, it sounds like, well, they won't get away with that. They won't get away with closing down several airports in the next two to three years. But we're hearing hysteria this week that we've never heard before. Maybe they're setting it up. I mean, let me just play this little clip again. This is your man, not the whole clip, just a section of it. This is the UN Secretary General. Humans are to blame. Right, and? The era of global warming has ended. The era, the era of global boiling has arrived. So maybe what we're seeing now is hysterical proclamations by people like him and by um, politicians in order to maybe later this year or next year to put it out there that maybe we should close some airports and stuff like that. Well, do you know, I I think that the, the more hysterical they get, they're trying to... The acceleration of this agenda is getting so ridiculous that people are waking up on a grand scale. I mean, it, it kind of happened with COVID. Well, it definitely happened with COVID because that's how they accelerated it anyway. I mean, Guterres and and um, what's his name, Klaus Schwab, met in Geneva in 2019 and signed the Strategic Partnership Framework document, which was to accelerate the 17 goals. They didn't kind of really put out how they were going to do it but they th there was a um, you know a document to say yes we're going to accelerate it and then literally in, in 2019 again four months later in november 2019 the same people Guterres and and schwab but this time with bill and melinda gates met in this johns hopkins facility and they had that tabletop exercise you know what if what if there was a pandemic uh, that hit a wet market in Brazil and it went around the world. What would we do? And there's Gates saying, well, I've got the, I've got the, uh, you know, I've got the thingy, the, the what's it. I can, you know, we can sort that one out, you know, the jab. So what happened really is that it was used to accelerate those goals because no, no amount of, you know, Greta wagging her finger at us was going to work. So that, that's, that kind of happened in 2019, 2020, but they're trying now, of course they did, you know, the COVID thing, you know, it hasn't gone away, but it's 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 not, you know, they're not pushing that at the moment. We knew that climate change would come back afterwards because all the, t all the time we were locked up, the infrastructure was going in. All those cameras were going in. You know, the ULES cameras were going in. They pulled up all the roads while we were locked up. And, and so ULES then, really, ULES and 15-minute cities, that has woken people up even more. And the more crazy and extreme their actions, the more we wake up. And that's, that's, you know, that's kind of a given. And it's really interesting because I, I had this th theory because um, I've got a friend who's managed to become a town councillor. And this is kind of the way we can do it because you can find out what they're up to. And um, the town councils, and it's not a lot of, there's a lot of well-meaning people on town councils. They're not all, they're not all nasty people. I don't believe that at all. Um, and she said she's on this town council and that they had a new town clerk 
And the, there's a new breed of town clerks who are very well trained in um, what they call carbon literacy. And these town clerks, these new town clerks are feeding this carbon literacy course, which is run by an NGO making loads of money out of carbon literacy courses. And this carbon literacy course has a massive content and it, it's like taking an exam, quite a big exam. And she said, show me a file. She said, look, this is what I've got. I've been told as a counsellor, I've got to take this carbon literacy course. And I said, well, what's what's in it? You know, like, I want to see, you know, because you're not really supposed to unless you are some kind of NGO. You can't even get your hand on the material. So. Um, so I said, OK, let's have a look. And she she said, well, she said, I'll just break it down. The worst bits of it, she said, straight out of China, they're trying to implement a one child policy in the UK. Can you believe that? But worse than that, they're they're saying that your pets have to go oh, yeah. because they the carbon footprint is too big and you've got to accept a carbon credit system. And and I thought to myself, you know what? The, nobody's going to accept this. You know, if if you've got to nobody, you can't go to Benidorm and Fido's got to got to cop it. Yeah. Nobody is going to do it. <laughs> I agree with you. I can't. I, I, I've i been called naive by my lovely listeners and I don't mind that. I am naive sometimes. I do believe there there is a tipping point once it gets to that level. You know, I mean, I listen, I've had one glorious moment in my life, Sandy, only one was when I came up with climate lockdowns. And um, th th I, I, I came up with that several years ago. I thought, oh, do you know what? They're going to do that. They're, oh, going, to, yes. they're, they're, going, they're going to tell people, like me and you, Sandy, right? You get to drive the two Sundays of the month, the, the, the even numbers. I do first and third Sundays. This stuff is coming down the line. But yeah, I do believe that once they start talking about pets and once they start saying you've got a carbon allowance and they tie that to, to a social credit system, at that stage, I think you will see enormous civil disobedience. And look, we've got to be happy and optimistic with the civil disobedience we're seeing thus far with some of the interfering that's going on in London with cameras and stuff like that. That's brilliant to see that. Yeah. I think. And, yeah, and, and the thing is that well, the idea with this carbon literacy is that once the councillors know about it and they've got it in their heads, you know, about all this nonsense they're trying to, uh, you know, uh, to, to get them to digest, then the idea is that they then hold what they call citizens' assemblies or people's assemblies. And we know about those because that's the way XR worked, where you have um, tables with facilitators all bringing you to a, a consensus, a predetermined outcome. And they want to feed this into the community to get everybody to agree. Isn't it a good idea to save the planet? You know, one child policy. We're not even at replacement rate in in, we're, we're, we're below replacement rate in Europe. I mean, what a stupid thing to, to even think about. Um, and, and, you know, getting rid of FIDO. Will people agree to that? No. Um, although they got they took the jab. I, you know, would they? This is the problem. And it's about making a noise about it and the, the, the absurdity of it. You know, that your your pet is somehow causing climate change. It is mad. It's nonsense. It's insane. Sarah's been on to say, by the way, lots of messages have come through the app. There is an app for the Richie Allen Show. Download, download it even if you are an Android user via Google Play. Download it via the App Store if you use an iPhone. Sarah is listening with great interest and says, Richie, 
will do you think they'll crash the banking system force the digital ID central bank digital currency because there's no going back and Sandy you've been saying and talking about and debating this and giving public lectures on this for years this is tied into it isn't it the removal of cash and the introduction of the the CBDC yeah yeah that's that's ultimately what they want they want you know total control obviously of the data um and 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 you know all your data will be fed into that that central um you know it's a it's a blockchain technology so that actually you know every area of your life is in one place every area they can look at your health your your what you do in your social life how you spend your money and be able to sanction you accordingly and that's the biggest problem now whether that they can i'm told that they can't actually just bring it in it has to be done by consent and I don't know. You see, I, I don't know whether, you know, I'm not I'm not a financier. I'm not. But I'm, I'm told it would be more difficult to bring bring it in without a due process. And I, I hope that is the case. Why do you think, Sandy, why do you think in recent weeks politicians have gone on the record to say that there should be, that it should be enshrined in law? that cash never disappears because that would seem to be counterintuitive to that agenda but it's happening you know some very serious politicians not just here in the uk but in ireland and elsewhere have said no no we must even the european union we must preserve cash should we be suspicious of that or optimistic of it well i i you know maybe i maybe i'm too optimistic but i'm optimistic i mean when you when you see what's happened to farage this week and you know he's He's managed to to get the um, you know the I can't remember which bank he was with, but Oof. she's had to resign. You know that that if all of this stuff, I think there is a pushback with people who possibly were going along with it, and you know it could be that some of our politicians are really waking up. I know we've we've you know Andrew Bridgen has been amazing, and there are more who are coming out of the woodwork. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think you'll mind me saying, but I did speak to Andrew Bridgen today and he told me that there is a net zero core um, of 20 politicians who don't go along with all this and who are really, you know, upset about it. But they need to be addressed, you know. Yeah. I, you know Would I, they be Tory got- backbenchers, Sandy? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So they'd be, so they'd be Tory backbenchers. Yeah. Again, I'm yeah. not in any way trying to be negative, but I've got to make the point. Um, Keir Starmer, I would put whatever money I have, if I could liquidate this studio and sell off the computers, yeah. I would put all... Keir Starmer is going to lead the next government. There's no doubt about that. He's no. I mean, that's it. He's the he's the he's the fascist in waiting. I'm yes. sorry. Yeah, he is. He's yeah. The guy that will bring bring this all. He'll accelerate this as much as he can. You know, I don't know how we stop it. I just don't know. I mean, a few Tory backbenchers won't cut the mustard. I'm sure, but it's good. I mean, maybe some. You know, just making a lot of noise about it. Is it has it got to come from the people? Maybe it's got to come from the people. Yeah, and we civil disobedience. Civil disobedience, as we've seen, it's worked in yeah. the past where enough people say, absolutely yeah. not. Like we're not going along with it. Yeah, enough. You know, it's it's one thing for two or three people in a street. You know, you get isolated, you get separated, you get isolated. But if if whole neighbourhoods say 
come together, you know, of people. I know people are suspicious these days of leaders and they're suspicious of people with, you know, gobby people with opinions. But if enough people come together in a community, I'm in a, you know, a traditional um, lefty working class community here in, in Salford. I like to think that people around here are robust. I like to think they're suspicious of authority. And I like to think, Sandy, that when push does come to shove, that enough of us will say, no, 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 not here, not in our city. You don't get to tell us we can't sell our homes to one another if we choose. You don't get to tell us we can't travel here. I, I am, I'm not naive, I'm optimistic. I, I, I think people yeah. will rise up. I really do believe that. And rise up, but in, not not in a not in a sort of a a riotous way. No, not in a violent way. No, absolutely not. No, no. Just to complete. Turn your back on it. Absolutely. Yeah. Just no. Just say no, and 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 really, um, be be kind of in you know in tune with that with with everyone. Absolutely. Be able to get all come together. Yeah. And I just love saying, it. There's a, I used to make a very crude analogy. It is crude. I was a big fan of the Wes Craven film, A Nightmare on Elm Street. At the end of the film, the first film is a great, great piece of cinema. The rest of the films are a bit silly. But at the end of the first film, Nancy turns back towards the monster, Freddy Krueger, and says, I take back every bit of power I ever gave you. You've got nothing over me. And she says, you're nothing. And she turns away and he disappears. And it's a crude analogy. But this, the establishment has sway and power over people only because people believe it to be true, in yeah. my opinion. It's like the Wizard of Oz, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's believing that there's an appealing to authority. Uh, and you realise that actually they, they don't know, that you know, that the, the us against them I mean there's so many of us and we do have the power within us we do have the power but it's believing we have that power um uh, which is the illusion that they like to you know give us is that is that they have all the power you've seen you've seen sorry how sorry, we can do that, yeah sorry Sandy, to interrupt, but this is a very interesting point you're coming to mm -hmm. and you as much as anybody I've ever interviewed You've, you've witnessed this over the years and you must have torn your hair out. You must yeah. have had hair transplants and then had those transplants torn out. But you must have seen this. Identity politics. Like, I can see you over the years talking to people, you and others, and getting a bit of consensus and getting people to understand. But then you have fallouts and you have, you know, people going another way because they have a different political philosophy to somebody else when really it doesn't matter. This stuff is happening. It's happening now, here and now. But that's their greatest. And the culture wars, of course, are all about that, aren't they? Divide us on those levels. Divide us on gender, on sexual identity. Divide yeah. us on. And, and, and then we don't say, well, hang on a second, guys. It doesn't matter which political colour we happen to be. Every one of us is under a jackboot at the moment. They're very successful at that, aren't they? It's been their greatest weapon. Yeah, absolutely. And what we've got to do is almost, I mean, what I see, what I saw in Fintorn, which I, I, it's almost like it, it is a metaphor, because what I saw in Fintorn was people coming together and putting their differences about net zero aside for the moment, uh, and but all agreeing that the the tyranny of um, the loss of freedom, the f loss of freedom, and they they encountered that you know, in the park at, you know, at, at Fintorn, they were, they were told they, they couldn't go to certain, um, certain spiritual practices because they, you know, and it's a spiritual community because they weren't jabbed or they hadn't got a mask or they weren't social distancing or whatever, whatever it was. 
And you realize that actually all we if we if, if we want our freedom, we almost have to you know forget about the other bit and net zero is really important but the crux of it is is how are they achieving it and the the it's all predicated on climate change and net zero and i tried that to get across to them and they they did eventually get it i said all of this tyranny is predicated on net zero this whole the climate you know the the climate lockdowns you know the 15 minute cities all the surveillance cameras you know the 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 fining the fining of people is all because you know you've you know you you've gone into a zone a, you know a ULES zone an ultra low emission zone and it's all to do with net zero and they began to you know suddenly things began to sort of like switch on in their brains and you know when i when i told them about the net zero document the absolute zero document and i said you know your freedoms are being curtailed under this big fat lie and you can believe it for now but when the tyranny comes in you need to start questioning it if you don't see the tyranny now you you will very soon and it's that it's actually understanding that we have a common need to have our freedoms our rights and our freedoms and if they're taken away there's a reason for it and some you know they've just got to really look at the reason and what is what is driving all this and at the moment it's net zero i mean it's always been net zero from from the earth summit in 1992 all the restrictions that we're getting now were were, were actually identified then they said you will there will be a um uh, what did they, what did what was it, the big uh, the big quote i haven't got it in front of me but it's more or less like there will be a consequence for every human action um, to save the planet and what we're seeing is the consequences of saving the planet is our freedom and our rights and that isn't right because no. it's as we know it's based on a lie yeah and just listen again to jenny jones i'm afraid net zero isn't where we should be going we should be going to real zero and so we, we've got to take this much more seriously than any any government in the uk is likely to over the next few years and that's religious mania, in my opinion. I've compared this to religious mania. In the same week that Guterres goes, we're not warming, we're boiling, and all of this, it seems there's been a ramping up. I'm looking at the clocks. We've got about five to six minutes left before I ask you if there's something you wanted to mention before we do run out of time. Sandy is on Twitter, as she's already said. It is at Sandy Adams. Now, Sandy is with, with an eye. So, at Sandy Adams 2030. I follow her on there. Follow her on there. SandyAdams.net, the website, but she said Sandy did that. Um, not had a chance to update that. And there was a bit of hacking. So in the five minutes, and keep an eye on that clock there, and thanks, by the way, for doing it, considering you've been travelling all over the bloody place, you're probably knackered. So I do appreciate it. No, it's great, Sandy. Um, if there was something you wanted to mention before we do end up uh, wrapping it up. Well, I think Ireland was a big one. Um, we, one oh, of God, the, yeah. um, the original reasons for coming over was to go to the, um, the Think Local Festival in Mullingar in Ireland. And uh, when we got there, um, we found that it had it, it had been cancelled, um, and they tried to find another venue, and then that was cancelled. And it was really uh, we were being accused of being right wing extremists. Um, and you know, there were Peter McCulloch was going to speak. Um, uh, all, uh, we had um, my, my, uh, Atwood, Mark Atwood, uh, loads of uh, uh, Matthias um, Desmet. Uh, and people had been flown from the United States to be speakers. And uh, it was the whole thing was cancelled. The organisers were told they had to cancel it because we were spreading hate speech. 
And it was shocking. Shocking, it, yeah. Absolutely shocking. I mean, uh, it was unbelievable. And um, uh, it came from only one source. And uh, unfortunately, this person managed to terrify, and it was extraordinary, terrify two venues and said, you will lose all your business if you let this go ahead. They hadn't called the Garda, anything like that. So the organisers are following it up with lawyers and the Garda to say this this was defamation of um, of characters and all sorts of things. And, and, and really, it's a, a loss to the venues. The venues lost a lot of money. The organisers lost a lot of money because obviously they sold tickets, loads of tickets for people to come to. And we were supposed to speak. And they put everybody up in hotels, really lovely hotels. The whole thing had to be cancelled. Well, we did get together actually in a hotel um, on one of the days. I think it was the you know the day after. We got together and had what what we called a press conference where we had a panel and we had interviews. I mean, I did a, a good interview with Ivor Cummings. If you want to pick up on that one, Ivor was there. Ivor Cummings and and I did an interview with him. But you know, it was it was shocking. Uh, and we also weren't allowed to speak about the event at the hotels we were in because they would lose we would lose the hotel rooms. So it was ludicrous. I mean, I cannot believe freedom of speech in Ireland is, is it's dead. gone. Yeah, we us Irish people who are aware of what's going on and to make programs like this. Yeah, we're we're not surprised but appalled. It, it seems like Ireland is a little bit further, maybe just a fraction further down the totalitarian um, yeah. footpath than everybody else. It's disgusting. I spoke to Sarah about it on the programme on Tuesday. And uh, yeah, it, yeah. again, when, when I worked in the mainstream media, if somebody had told me that a conference could be cancelled on the day because somebody, you know, another private citizen phoned the venue and attempted to blackmail them effectively by telling them, I mean, th there must be some crime here. If you don't cancel these people because I don't like what they say, um, I will do my best to destroy your business. It's yeah. hard to believe we're here, but we are here, Sandy. We are, and we have to deal with this. This is the thing. It's like, it's it's coming from every angle, isn't it, really? For people like you, I mean, I, I, I produce talk radio programmes. I largely do that from my base in Salford. But, you know, researchers and public speakers like yourself, I'm gutted for you. I mean, I've had a bit of experience of it. You know, I was here in 2017, frantically running around after Old Trafford kicked out David Icke on the day. I was running around uh, Manchester trying to secure a venue with Paul Ripley. We managed to do it. That was the first time I'd ever experienced anything like that, where somebody could phone a venue and have somebody cancelled. I'm gutted it happened to you, travelling as you did, and I'm gutted it happened to the people who came from America. And Sarah is a lovely lady, as is as is Jana. Lovely people. Yeah, lovely. Amazing. Really yeah. incredibly strong, wonderful women. They really are, yeah. But we'll win in the end, Sandy. And um, I, 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 meant, I meant when I said it to you previously, you know, you've been on your own journey for years, knocking on doors, speaking mm -hmm. in pubs. I mean, you've done some amazing venues. You've spoken to amazing conferences, but you started out basically standing on a stool in a pub talking to people and um you know you'll have your day don't worry about that yeah let's uh let's hope it all yeah it all comes together i think it will i don't think i don't think we'd be doing the work we did if we thought that we wouldn't win in the end and we have to just keep going 
just keep going. No doubt about it. Folks, Sandy's on Twitter. Give her a follow, at Sandy Adams 2030. I'm sure you, 2030. See, I was very Irish there. 2030. I said 2030, Sandy. It said 2030. And it's sandyadams.net and Sandy is spelled with an I. God speak to you, Sandy. Thanks. You're welcome back on here anytime. And thanks for coming on, even though you're knackered. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Bless you. Speak soon. God bless. Uh, Sandy Adams, live on Thursdays. Richie Allen Show, top lady. Great to have her on. Yeah. Mm. And Jean-Anne is giving me a name. And Jean-Anne will know. That's my pal and your pal, Jean-Anne Crowley. I won't mention the name here. I might do in the future. Because I've what I've done is, you see, I have invited some of those who we know have managed to cancel people. Some of the nasty people who phone venues. I've reached out to the... I, I constantly do this, and I, I don't say it often enough, but I do. I constantly reach out to them in the most in the most kind-hearted way you could reach out to anybody. I lay my cards on the table. I say, would you mind coming on my programme and speaking with me? And here are my guarantees. And I will give them a list of guarantees. You know, the guarantee being that I'm not going to do what idiots do in the mainstream media. Piers Morgan, shout you down, interrupt you, call you names. I'm not going to do that. You think it's okay to cancel people you don't like, whose opinions you don't agree with. I vehemently disagree with you doing that. Why don't we have a conversation on my programme and you tell me why I'm wrong and why we need to be protected from hearing other people's opinions. And I give them, as I said already, a list of guarantees. A list of them. Namely, you know, you won't be embarrassed. I won't attempt to embarrass you. Of course, I would be committing an own goal if I did that. You know, the Richie Allen show is pretty well known. If I was to bring you on and try to insult you, I'd look like a prize, well, not to put too fine a point on it, a prize prick, wouldn't I? But they don't. They've learned... They haven't learned a tactic. They haven't learned a tactic. It isn't a tactic. They have been brainwashed into believing that they, 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 they should never engage with people who disagree with them. They have been brainwashed into believing that those who disagree with them are genuinely bigots and hateful people and, and that they are best avoided. They have been programmed to feel this way. Whereas when I and I've said this too many times, I can feel you falling asleep. When I was at uni, when you were at uni, we were not programmed, well, maybe we were, we, we might have been programmed by our lecturers, but we would have thought it utterly ridiculous to not want to engage with people whose political views we found even repugnant. It, we were brought up to believe, rub your hands, lick your lips, I can't wait to get a hold of that guy. I can't wait to put my points of view to him. I'm going to take his arguments apart. That's how we felt. So when they say to you, we, I don't debate with bigots, I used to think this was just their get out of jail card. I used to call them cowards. I used to say, you're just a coward. You know, this is your get out of jail card. You can't face me publicly. Therefore, you use the line, I don't debate with bigots. But I've come to understand that is how they have been programmed to see it. It's not that they're cowards. Some of these idiots will wait, will, 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 will go nose to nose with people on street protests. It's not that they're cowards, but they have been conditioned to believe that the other person is genuinely hateful 
and horrible and nothing is to be gained by sharing a stage or a radio program with that person. That is how they've been conditioned. That is strong brainwashing to to try and pierce, to try and get through that, to reach the other person, to say, look, no, 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 no. There's no hate here. Let's have a chat about it. I might learn something from you. You may learn something from me. They'll never speak to us. The, the, The era of open debate is dead. It's utterly dead. There is a dividing line now. And, uh, that's pretty depressing, isn't it? Anyway, I would like to, to, to thank Andy McGrillen. Please visit thatufopodcast.com. Andy McGrillen, great guy. Really enjoyed speaking with him. Uh, he said he'd come back for a long discussion about ufology in the summer, later in the summer. And thanks again to Sandy Adams for her time today. That has been Thursday's Richie Allen Show. I've been Richie Allen. We will talk again on Monday. Don't panic, don't panic, don't panic. Uh, the Richie Allen Show returns this coming Monday at five. But, 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 if easy listening music and silly chat is your thing, you and I will talk again on Sunday at ten, all right? Have a fantastic weekend. Look after yourselves and one another. Thanks for listening this week. Closing out with Injury. Injury. Jury, jury. Injury. Slaan Tommel. Bye. In the deserts.